This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. What is a trust and how do you know if you should have a trust and, and is it something I should be doing? So I actually brought on a special guest today that can uh, discuss the ins and outs and advantages and disadvantages of trust with us. So welcome, Lindsay Buchite. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Lindsay is an attorney down in Sergeant Bluff. Lindsay, tell us a little bit about your practice. Yeah. Um, well, I've been practicing for uh, about nine years now okay. and uh, I started um, out on my own uh, about three years ago, and so we How have. Exciting. Yeah, it's been really great. Um, I have an office, um, standalone building in Sergeant Bluff now on First Street, and um, it's just me, solo practitioner. But I, I focus a lot, um, probably more than fifty percent of my practice is on estate planning and probate. Okay, and then I also do some business and family law as well. Well, I know that I have um, referred a number of clients to Lindsay and been very happy with the work that they've done with her. So I'm thrilled that you could join us today on the air. And um, what I want to talk about is um, just some trust basics. There's a lot of mystery surrounding, you know, having a trust or what is a trust going to do. And um, I, I want to talk about four main types of trust today. So we're going we're gonna to start out by talking about what's called a testamentary trust. And um, then we're going to talk about a revocable trust. We're going to slide into something called an irrevocable trust after that, and then finish up by talking about some different ins and outs of charitable trusts. So if you've ever wondered about trust, this is your time to learn. <laughs> <laughs> so Lindsay, give us a, um, I guess, tell us what exactly is a testamentary trust? Yeah, that's a great question. And I get, the, the thing is, I mean, I get questions all the time from people. They kind of give me the deer in the headlight look when we talk about trust because they've heard all sorts of things. And obviously, if you get on Google or the internet and you start looking in there, it's a very broad spectrum. There's all different types sure. of trust. So a testamentary trust is really just a fancy word for a trust that takes effect upon your death. Okay. So essentially, it's a person that if you set up a will, for example, just a basic will, um, you can have what's called a testamentary trust inside of your will. And that means that when, if I set up that, that trust within my will, it doesn't take effect until I'm gone. So then at my death, that trust actually comes into being. That's when we go and get a separate tax ID number, and the trust takes effect at that point in time. So the nice thing about having the trust inside your will, this testamentary trust, is that you don't actually have to put anything into that trust when you're alive. It all happens once you pass away. Exactly. So it's a lot less maintenance for people that, you know, I know we're going to talk about the um, revocable living trust here next, but um, where you actually have to fund things in it during your life. But this way, it's just a basic uh, will. In fact, when my husband and I were expecting our, our first baby is when we uh, first jumped on the bandwagon and got a will, and I drafted it up and put in a testamentary trust for it. That's how my first one was, too. Yeah. So let me let me give our listeners an example of how a testamentary trust might actually roll. So I have three kids, and um, right now my kids are, oh gosh, 25, 22, and 17. <laughs> so I still have one minor and I have two young adults. So I look at things and think, well, if I was to pass away, what would I want to have happen? And I guess I just have a personal belief, and, and there's no right or wrong to this, but I just have a personal belief that it's probably not a good idea to unleash um, an 18 or 20 year old with a lot of money, because more often than not, what are they gonna do with that? <laughs> 
Right. And you, if you think it. about when you were 18, right, as responsible as we were, it's like you're not going to spend the money the same way as when you were 25 or 30. <laughs> right. Exactly. So the way I set up my first ten t- testamentary trust was this. Um, there was money available to take care of the kids and to send them to college. And then when they got to be 25 years old, they could have a third of what their inheritance was. Now, I am pretty sure that they were going to blow that first third. I, I even think a t- responsible 25-year-old is going to make <laughs> some money mistakes. So uh-huh. just, just saying. And then they got another third when they're 30. And they got another third and the final amount when they're 35. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that by the time they were 30, that they would kind of remember the lessons they learned from having blown the first part of it. Uh-huh. And and by then, even be a little bit more mature, be thinking about, you know, money towards a house or money towards taking care of their lives. And then by the time they're 35, I'm hoping that they're thinking about their own retirement or their own children's college funds and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no guarantee that any trust beneficiary is going to spend money wisely. Mm-hmm. That's a for sure thing. And we've all heard horror stories about it not happening that way. But all you can do is hope that some of the lessons that you instill in your kids, you know, when you're alive, are going to carry over once you're no longer around to guide them, right? Exactly, exactly. And I've had some people, too, that, you know, quote, unquote, they want to control from the grave a little bit more than Mm -hmm. that even. So, and, and, you know, there's nothing, like you said, it's very personal in terms of how you set that up. But I've had people that will um, put educational incentives in there, for example, and and build upon that and say, you know what, I'm going to give you at 25, 30, and 35 your shares. But if you get a four-year degree or you get a two-year degree or whatever, you might get your first third upon graduation. Oh, so you could even tie it to some incentive for performance yeah. and results. Yep. Okay. Yep. I like that idea. I mean, yeah. it puts it right into your kids' hands is that their efforts are rewarded based on that. Then. Right. Exactly. I like that idea. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the um, when, when you have the testamentary trust, like we said, that is something that you create within your will and it doesn't take effect until you pass away. But let's move in, into talking about the types of trust that we might set up while we're alive. Sure. So the first type of trust that I want to talk about is a revocable trust. Now, revocable means you can revoke it. That means you can change it while you're alive. And living, revocable living trust means it's something you set up while you're alive. So, Lindsay, why would somebody set up a revocable living trust? The main reason that I see um, today, especially under the the way that the tax laws and everything are, would be two reasons. One would be privacy. Okay. So, unlike a will, even with a testamentary trust in it that gets into probate, um, that gets filed with the court, that kind of, everybody can look that up and see your business. So, some people are very, very private. Um, and so they really like the idea of a revocable living trust because that all stays, even when they're gone, that stays private. Okay. Nobody else sees it other than, you know, the beneficiaries and their family and all of that. And another big reason, probably the main reason I see is um, avoiding the probate process. Gotcha. So let's talk about the privacy for a minute. I mean, it kind of strikes me that if you have significant assets, then not having a trust is... To protect your privacy is kind of like giving your busybody neighbor a copy of your balance sheet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people just don't want to do that. <laughs> exactly. All right. So the privacy is a big deal because it is public record if things go through pro- probate. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about the cost of probate. Tell us how that works. Well, um, I practice in three states. So, uh, you know, okay. I'm right there in Sergeant Bluff. So I'm within five miles of Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota. So in each state is different, obviously. Okay. Um, but in Iowa, where I, I do the bulk of my practice, I would say, um, and even in Nebraska and South Dakota is pretty similar, but there's a 2% cap 
on a regular size estate. So that means that if if you have over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars in your uh, probate assets, that you're going to be subject to a regular estate. And so, as an attorney, if I'm probating that estate. I can charge up to 2% of that estate. So if you have a house that's worth Mm $200,000, then you could charge up to $4,000 to probate that house. Correct. So there's some significant cost involved with that. And another thing with that, it's not just the attorney fees, it's also the court cost. And and that's something internally right now with even the estate planning attorneys, um, and I think there's some laws... Um, legislation right now that might be trying to get that changed, but the court fees are also pretty significant in, in probate as well. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's just think about that. If you, When you talk about probating your assets, what are the types of assets that have to go through the probate process? The thing that has to go through probate is anything that doesn't, like, for example, I mean, you're a financial planner. So I always say, and obviously everybody that I've ever worked with with you, they're always in good hands because you have, you make <laughs> well, sure thank you. <laughs> yeah, you make sure that they have beneficiaries listed in all of their accounts, right? So if they have an IRA or a Roth or, or uh, stocks or whatever, they have a beneficiary listed. Right. Those sorts of things will go right to, like, you get the death certificate or whoever the financial institution is, and it goes right to that beneficiary. So if you have a beneficiary beneficiary listed, it does not go through the probate process. Correct. Anything else that doesn't have a beneficiary listed, for example, real estate is probably the biggest thing. Uh Or a lot of people forget or don't know that they can put a beneficiary on the bank accounts, for example. Uh So that's another big area where I see those things get thrown into probate. Okay. So it's really pretty easy to get over that $100,000 mark by the time you think about your real estate and your bank accounts, cash, CDs, and anything that doesn't have a beneficiary attached to it. Very easy, yeah. So the the I guess the thing that I want people to consider when you're listening to this is it is not necessarily inexpensive to set up a trust, but a trust can actually save quite a bit of money in the end. Yeah. You know, let's say you have a million dollar farm and that is going to pass through probate and all of a sudden you've got $20,000 worth of probate costs. Exactly. It may have behooved you to spend fifteen dollars or $1,800 to get a revocable trust set up so that you can avoid that cost. Right. The cost benefit is definitely by far what I tell people is you're going to save a lot more, obviously, on the back end. Um, some people say, I don't care, I'm going to be dead anyway. <laughs> but if <laughs> If your go- if your goal is yeah that's perfectly fine too but if your if your goal is preserving and um, you know getting a legacy for your children it's definitely worth um, the cost of setting it up because really that's pretty inexpensive compared to what you would otherwise have to incur. Gotcha. Okay, so we have a great thing that we're giving away today. Um, we've put together a trust basics guide. So call in uh, 605-217-3555 or go to our website at Stirk Financial Services and you re- can request this trust basics guide. It's going to kind of walk you through the pros and cons of different types of trusts and the highlights of what's important to know about that. And I also want to mention that um, we have a seminar coming up um, in July. And this seminar is geared towards people who are going through a divorce, a very difficult life transition. But I got a lot of questions in divorce situations about what to do with trusts that are already set up. So at this seminar, we'll actually be spending some time talking about how the different trusts interplay in a divorce situation and how to split those trusts and things like that. So keep that in mind if that applies to you July 26th and you can register right on our website. Now we're going to talk about something called an irrevocable trust. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay, give, give me the highlights of what an irrevocable trust is. 
Well, unlike a revocable trust where you can revoke it, meaning you can change it, an irrevocable trust is one that you can't change. Okay. So once you set that up, you lose control of it, You lose control. Yep. Okay. So it strikes me then that a lot of people would be wondering, well, if I would lose control of this, why would I do that? Exactly. Yeah. And, and a lot of people can get kind of freaked out by that idea. So mm-hmm. um, it's not for everybody. The, I would say the main people that use it um, and, and the clients that I see use it are people that want to do some tax planning. Gotcha. So right now, um, the estate tax, the federal estate tax exemption is at $10.9 million. Okay. So most of my clients, I don't know about most of yours, but most of them don't have a problem with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But some of them, you know, I also have a lot of farmers and things like that. And Mm -hmm. then, of course, with the land prices and stuff, they can be kind of teetering there, if not over. Um, So for those sorts of people that are close Um, if not over the estate tax exemption. And when I say that, I guess I should explain. um, So anything that right now, if you were to die in 2016, and that's for a married couple. Mm -hmm. So if you're a married couple and you have more than $10.9 million in total assets, anything above and beyond that is going to be taxed at the the top tax rate at 40%. So we're talking federal estate tax here. Mm -hmm. And then some states are going to layer on additional state tax taxes on top of the federal estate taxes. Exactly. So for example, say it's $11 million exemption, you have $14 million in assets, you're taxed on $3 million mm-hmm. at 40%. That's $1.2 million that goes to the government. Gotcha. So a lot of a lot of farmers and other people don't like that idea, obviously. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody likes <laughs> yeah, the idea doesn't, of doesn't matter who you are. lots of money to give to the government. Exactly. So. Exactly. So people in that situation especially would be really good candidates for an irrevocable trust. And they're not really that particularly hard to set up. Right. Um, the main thing is I would say probably the most common type of irrevocable trust that I do and see is funding one with life insurance. Right. So you might have heard the term before called ILIT, I-L-I-T. That just means an irrevocable insurance trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> life insurance trust, I should say. And the here here's kind of the way that you would think about those. So if, if you know that you're going to be in a taxable estate situation based on the value of assets you have, whether it be land or businesses or money or whatever it is, and, and you don't want to um, pay a lot of federal estate taxes, you could take out a big life insurance policy inside of an irrevocable life insurance trust. Now, the reason that you would take it out inside of the trust is because if you own it yourself, it's going to just count as another asset when you pass away. Mm -hmm. So you need to have your life insurance owned by the trust so that it doesn't count in your $11 million formula um, and it doesn't kind of hurt you. Right. At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So if you put your life insurance inside the irrevocable trust, then you can have the benefit of it still go to your family or the benefit of it can be used to pay the estate taxes so that your family doesn't have to choose which assets to sell. Mm-hmm. And then the nice thing about that is you've created an environment where the life insurance itself is of benefit to your estate instead of counting against it. Exactly. Yep. So, um, so... There are a few other reasons that people might consider using an irrevocable trust, um, and but they're kind of few and far between. Yeah. So I think most of the time now it's used for the estate planning in the larger estates. Yeah, that's definitely the most common, I would say. Now, speaking of larger estates, I don't know um, where things are at exactly right now, but I think that it's 
just fascinating that we still are seeing large estates not being protected using vehicles like this. So, for instance, mm-hmm. Prince, he recently passed away. Yes. And it's come to light that he didn't have a will. He didn't have any trusts. And he has, what, like a $300 million estate. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Had he listened to Money Guide with Mary Stark and Lindsay Bukite, that might have turned out a he little differently. He would be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, just, just thinking about that, you have an estate like that and I mean you're you're looking at over a hundred and fifty million dollars in taxes. Yeah. That a lot of that could have been avoided with good estate planning and trust work. Right. Yeah. So um, not that all of our listeners are worried about their $300 million estates, <laughs> right. but you know what? In a state's an estate, and whether it's a $100,000 estate that you want to protect from going through probate or whether it's a $300 million estate because you're you're rich and famous, it doesn't matter. Protecting your estate is good business no matter where you're at. Exactly. Yep. So. All right, let's talk a little bit about the fourth type of trust that I wanted to mention, and that is a charitable trust. Mm -hmm. So there's quite a number of different types of charitable trusts, right? Yes, quite a few. What are what are the what do you see used the most often, Lindsay? The one that I see probably most often, I'd say. Well, first of all, I'd say there's there's two types that I see. There's the charitable lead trust, Mm -hmm. and there's the charitable remainder trust. Of those two, I think that the charitable remainder trust is the most most common. Okay, and the reason I say that is the charitable Charitable remainder trust is set up so that if I set up the trust, I reap the benefit during my lifetime, um, various purposes, tax purposes, generally things like that, while still giving to a charity, of course. Um, but then upon my death, the remainder goes over to the remainder beneficiary, who is often a, uh, a charity of some sort. Great. Okay. So I have a client who um, is absolutely a pet lover mm-hmm. and, and absolute crazy about her pets. And so I was able to work with her using a charitable remainder trust. And we took some of her money and set it up in a charitable remainder trust. She was able to take income off of that money while she was alive. Mm -hmm. And then when she passed away, the remainder of it went to a pet care charity that then took her dogs and took care of their her dogs for the rest of the dog's life. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of interesting to see how that all worked and to know that there are, you know, some really great resources out there, but that you can utilize these types of trust to get some tax benefits while you're alive. Mm-hmm. You can use them to support a charity that you care about at your death. And in this person's case, they also were able to care for their pets and make sure they had a good home after she had passed away. Yeah, that's the perfect scenario. And I'm with you. I mean, I've you know I've been doing this for, for nine years and um, pets. Even just yesterday, I had a, a, a client. They didn't have any kids, but they had their dog. And that was like, you know, their baby to it them. It is. It's like their and, child. <laughs> yeah. And I've got two girls and I've got a boy and a girl dog. And so I always say I have four children. <laughs> so I completely understand. <laughs> so, and they had set it up. They didn't do a trust, but they set it up where $10,000 went to the caregiver, whoever mm-hmm. that was going to be for the dog. So, I mean, it is, it's a, it's a very important um, avenue that you know and some people are kind of like they kind of look at me like are you going to think I'm stupid for asking this and I'm like no I completely get it <laughs> <laughs> so what is a charitable lead trust tell us a little bit about what that means so a charitable lead trust is kind of the reverse that basically um, while you're alive it's uh, the the benefits of the trust are going to help the charitable organization um, 
that's the the leading part of it. And then obviously at your death, the rest of it goes to maybe, you know, your family or whoever your other beneficiaries would be. Great. Okay. So there's a couple different ways that you can use your charitable intent to wind into trust planning that can benefit you and your charity and and people beyond your own lifetime. Right. And, you know, people that want to do that, I think it's, you know, it's great. I mean, obviously, I always um, enjoy seeing those people because they want to see the charity um, enjoy and reap the benefits of their of their giving during their lifetime. Right. And so that's a really nice way to do it, too. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So give us a call. Um, request your Trust Basics um, papers that we put together for you, 605-217-3555. We'd love to hear from you and uh, share this information. Or you can go onto our website, sterkfinancialservices.com. Um, and, and just to kind of recap what we've talked about today, we talked about four different types of trust. So we talked about the testamentary trust. And again, Lindsay, that happens when? That happens upon your death. Upon your I know death. it sounds sad, but that, that's what happens. <laughs> that's when it triggers. We've talked about the revocable living trust, and that's something that happens while you're alive. And you can change as you uh, move through your life and your life changes. We visited about the irrevocable trust, which primarily is used in the estate planning arena mm-hmm. and things like that. And then we talked about a couple different types of charitable trusts, so charitable remainder trust and charitable lead trust. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully that has given you some ideas and understanding of why and when you would use a trust. And hopefully we've been able to take a complex uh, issue and simplify it a little bit so it makes some sense for people. So thank you, Lindsay, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. You are most welcome. And uh, thank you for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. Call us at 605-217-3555 for your free copy of the Trust Basics Guide. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.